Oh, very good. Let me add my welcome to the one you just received. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And I'm delighted uh, to be here with you and to um, recite God's word here. We're in Romans chapter 12. It's our last Sunday in Romans 12. It's been cold. It's been quite a journey um, as we've tried to. We've been taking a, a class in genuine love. Meditating slowly on these exhortations in Romans chapter 12. Um, It's my honor to be able to recite them to you one last time. Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. This is God's word. Let's give it our attention. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with familial affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be lazy in love. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, Never be wise in your own sight. And this starts our meditation for today. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Yeah, man, we've been in a a class in genuine love uh, through the fall and into the beginning of the winter. And we thought it was challenging. And it was, as Paul tried to teach us what it means to to weave our hearts and lives together in love. But when you get to the end of this passage, um, when he begins to talk about how we treat our enemies, we realize that we were in a 101 level class before, and this is master's level stuff. Black belt level Christian ethics. Move over, Padawan learners. Learners. 
This is Jedi Master stuff. What we see at the end of this passage is really a restatement of Jesus' most majestic and challenging teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Love your enemies. This is the peak of Jesus' ethical vision. A people who don't simply give the resources of love to their friends and not simply to their neighbors, but a people who would give all the resources of love to their enemies. We are on holy ground. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O my rock and my redeemer. Amen. What Paul says here is so important, he, it's so important he repeats himself four times. He says the same thing. In different words, four times. When persecuted, don't curse. Don't repay evil with evil. Don't avenge yourself. Don't be overcome by evil. And all of those statements, he's pretty much saying the same thing. That when we are hurt, injured, slighted, wrong offended, we are not to retaliate in kind. It's challenging stuff. Challenging because the impulse to strike and counter-strike runs pretty deep, doesn't it? It's something that we recognize in ourselves We see it very clearly in our children. You get pinched, and what do you do back? You pinch. What did did you say? Oh, you slap them. Oh, oh my. It's not just an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth at the Terwilliger household. You go the extra mile in the other direction. Great. But you don't, we don't grow out of that, do we? Uh, the adult version of these dynamics play themselves out in countless ways in our lives. It's noticing in the morning that there's more leaves in your yard. Sensing that your neighbor might have blown those leaves in your yard. And you just blow them right back. That'll show them. It's being in traffic. Somebody's riding too close behind. Little brake check. (laughs) That'll show them. Kids are yelling at each other. It's kind of out of control in the house. You raise your voice to create a little order. I love yelling calmness into my kids. That'll show them. 
Uh, in our day and age, so much of this gets played out online. Uh, this, uh, a time when we take our private hurts and we make them public so that instead of engaging in conflict resolution, uh, instead of addressing the person, we take it to the court of public appeal so they might get scorned in the court of public opinion. That just, it just doesn't happen online either. It's in our living rooms and kitchens and bedrooms. With those we love, often our, our retribution isn't active, it's passive. It's how we withdraw our love or affection. We punish with our silence. That'll show them. And when we do this, uh, when there's offense that's committed against you, a slide or an insult, or perhaps something more severe, when you retaliate, Paul says that we shouldn't fool ourselves into believing that we're correcting a wrong or addressing an injustice. He says, in fact, what you're doing is multiplying evil. You're multiplying evil. See that? He says, don't repay evil with evil. Some give, somebody gives you a fiver of evil and you give them a fiver back. Or in Isaac's house, a ten spot of evil. Well, now there's $15 of evil in the world. You magnify it. Adding a second evil to the first only increases the tally of evil. In the world. And keeps the cycle of frustration and bitterness and anger and pain and violence going. And in fact, he says you're not just multiplying evil in the world. But you're actually losing the battle of good and evil within yourself. Look at this. Look at the verse at the end. It says, don't be overcome by evil. And the word overcome there is a military word. It means to subdue or to overpower. It's used most often in the New Testament in terms of spiritual warfare. The Lord overcoming the world, the flesh, and the devil. So this is a warfare word. It's aggressive. It's forceful. And it's saying to wrestle with our desire to retaliate is to wrestle with evil itself and with the devil. And when we give in, we've lost. We're overpowered. It means that evil actually won. You allowed that person's anger... Not just to hurt you, but to make you angry. You, they treated you with bitterness. And it didn't just hurt, but it made you bitter. And respond in kind. You've been the recipient recipient of a malicious action. And that person not only hurt you, but now you've responded. In kind. They... All the ill will wished towards you, it's bad enough that it's there, 
But when you allow it to control your behavior, you've lost the war. You've been overcome. It's kind of a profound idea. And isn't that how it feels sometimes that you're no longer acting like an agent in control of yourself? You're out of control. You're being controlled. No longer in charge of your heart. You've been subdued. It's sobering, the thought, but I like that imagery because it gives these little moments when I'm wrestling for patience or forgiveness. It gives those moments significance and weight. It wakes me up to this idea that there's a battle being waged inside of me and it sobers me up. It brings an awareness to those moments that I, when I begin to lose control, so I can come back to my senses more quickly. Don't be overcome by evil. Fight the good fight. It also wakes us up to what true strength looks like. Because here's the thing, in the moment, to yell, to pinch, to punch, to withdraw, It can feel strong. It can make us feel in the moment a false sense of strength in control. While forgiveness, working to absorb hurt, continuing to reach out in kindness, that often seems in the moment passive and weak. But think about it, Which, who is more in control? The one lashing out or the one reaching out in love? Doesn't it take far more power and control and restraint and assertive activity and ultimately freedom to respond in patience, love, forgiveness, Rather than lash out. Absolutely it does. Consider the teachings of Jesus to turn the other cheek. Is turn the other cheek an invitation to weakness? Is that an invitation to be the world's doormat? And I think not. Let me just give this picture to you. I want you to imagine you're looking at a man. A full grown man. And imagine you punch that man in the face with everything that you've got. And imagine that when you do that, the only thing that happens is his face turns to the side. And then he turns slowly the other one and says, is that all you got? Is that weak? No, it's actually a little frightening and awesome. If you were in some kind of Western movie or action movie and that happens, you were in that scene, you'd be thinking, that guy's strong. How many people do you know that can reasonably engage with those who disagree with them without emotionally flying off the handle? That's strong. That's frightening and a little awesome. Strength. That's the heart we want. And it's the heart 
that God intends to cultivate in us. And so through his servant Paul, he emphatically says in four different ways, don't curse, don't repay, don't avenge, don't be overcome. But notice, friends, that he's not done. That as challenging as that is, Paul isn't done with us. Because each one of those negative warnings is coupled with a positive command. It's important to see. Because Christian ethics is never purely negative. In other words, we're not called not to do something. Or when we are, it's always to put something more beautiful and gracious and good in its place. And so don't curse, but do what? Bless. Do good. Work for peace. Leave the judgment to God and get busy serving others. And he closes it all out by saying, overcome evil with good. Overcome. That's the same word that he used before. He says, if you want to mount an assault on the evil that's been done to you and somehow defeat it in your life and in your relationships, he says, don't respond in kind. You don't just sit there and take it. His remedy is a counter-assault called blessing. A counter-assault called kindness. A counter-assault called forgiveness. And he says, in this way you work to overcome and disarm not only the impulses in your heart, but you potentially disarm the evil impulses in your neighbor as well. And that's what Paul is getting at in verse 20 when he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing so, you will be heaping burning coals on their head. Now that's a curious phrase. Because when you first see it, it seems kind of out of place. It seems like he's been super gracious and for just a wee bit, he gets a little grumpy. He just like lets the vindictive stuff kind of come in. Uh, But what he's saying here is actually very fitting and very profound. At that time in battle, when an enemy was attacking a castle or some kind of fortification, and the defenders of that castle wanted them to stop, (laughs) one of the things you could do to ward off the attack is pour coals on their head. Because here's the thing, you can't shoot arrows and you can't use your sword When your hair is on fire. (laughs) And so it was, it was something that would neutralize and subdue the attack. And Paul is saying, let kindness, let feeding your enemy, let meeting your needs, let your assertive display of generosity, let that be your defense 
and ultimately let it be so gracious that it subdues their attack so that that person would come to their senses. Not that you would destroy your enemy, but that you would overcome the power of evil in your enemy. In other words, if you can disarm your adversary with kindness and somehow turn them into a friend, you won't be destroying them. You'll be destroying the power of evil in them. So not only will you be released from the power of evil itself, but your enemy also has the chance for a better way forward. That's the goal. And that's why it says don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What Paul is saying is that in Christ we can find power. We can have a space opened up in our hearts where we can move past a moment of pain or hurt, that we can unshackle ourselves from an endless chain of reactions, and we can create a new situation in which both wrongdoer and wronged can begin afresh, can begin with grace, that we can break the cycle of violence and hurt and open up a more creative and redemptive way forward for ourselves and for that relationship. And he gives us some sense of what that even looks like. He says, don't curse, but bless Well, what does it mean to bless? It can mean a lot of things. But the thing about blessing is that it starts in the heart. So does cursing. Cursing begins with wishing harm on someone. It's basically to wish harm on someone else. To bless is the opposite. It's to desire their good. It's to desire their flourishing. And then to work for it. And so he begins by saying, check, you need to check your thought life. You know, when it comes to our opponents, we often have like a little, like an imaginary voodoo doll. Maybe some of you have actual voodoo dolls, but most of ours are imaginary. And we'll like bring it out in our mind and we'll have that argument with them and we'll win it every time. We'll just do the perfect zingers and it'll be like a little pin in their hearts. You knew I was right twist the arm. He's saying, bless your enemies. You need to take that evil voodoo doll and put it away and bring out like the good voodoo doll where you're just filling it with gold stars <laughs> and wishing its best and good. And this, and basically, it, it comes down to praying for our enemies. You know, when Jesus talked about loving our enemies, he said, you shall love You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It is hard to be angry at someone that you're honestly praying for. And so I am embarrassed to say it, but there is one broken relationship where I I have to drive by this person's house often. And when I do, I I will find myself thinking bad things about the house and sometimes doing strange things in the car if I'm by myself. But what I've thought is I'm gonna, I have to pray every time I drive by that house. 
I need to be praying for them. It starts with blessing. And then he says, just do what's honorable in the sight of all. That's just doing good stuff. The word there is just good. Do good. What's good inside of all? One commentator translated it. See to it that your public behavior is above criticism. Uh, It's the the same word uh, for good that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So bless, do good. Then it says work for peace. In verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Like to refuse to repay evil or to inflame a a quarrel isn't good enough. We have to take a posture of positive peacemaking. And Paul recognizes that this isn't always possible. That there will always be people in our lives who don't want to have peace with us. They will never wish peace upon us. But he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you. If there's any possibility that you could open up the door, crack it a little bit more to to forgiveness, to reconciliation, that we need to be doing that. So we can withdraw so much when there's pain in our relationships. We can organize which grocery stores we go to based on whether we're going to see that person or not. You know what I mean? That's not, if all possible, so much as it depends on you. Making small and large gestures of peace and reconciliation in our relationship. Blessed are the peacemakers. Then he says, leave it to the wrath of God. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And some of us don't like to think of God's vengeance or God's judgment. And I get that. I also tend to gravitate towards my hippie version of Jesus. And some of us have been hurt by images of a vengeful God or characterizations of God's judgment that diminish or overshadow His love rather than seeing His judgment as a necessary quality of His love. Still, for many folks around the world who have experienced violence and hardship and hurt at the the hands of others, hurt that we cannot imagine ourselves, these The idea that there is a God who will make things right is deeply good news. The world needs a judge. Not someone who will just simply be with the afflicted and the oppressed. But someone who will end ultimately oppression and hurt and pain. A just judge. Someone who is immensely just and righteous. But who is also thoroughly gracious. Someone with unsurpassed wisdom on the one hand and compassion on the other. And that is who our God is. And so instead of taking things into our own hands, we are called to leave it to Him. To trust that He will do what's right. Now that's one of the hardest things for us to do. To trust a God who can and will judge, possibly in a way that we don't prefer, 
and on a timeline that we don't desire. But when we find the faith and strength to do so, it frees us up to serve. And so it says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing so, you will be heaping these burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. This is the counter assault of kindness, blessing, doing good, working for peace, leaving it to God, serving whenever possible. And when Jesus' followers have chosen to live in this way, it's turned the world upside down. I'm going to ask Nicole if she'll put up this is my favorite picture of Martin Luther King. And it depicts a day in 1963 when he came out of the front of his house and someone overnight had burnt a cross there and shot up his windows. And he got up that morning and he put on a suit. And the first thing he did was go to the front yard. There were a bunch of reporters there. And he picked up the cross and he pulled it out of the grass And he began to utter a prayer that God would show favor and bless the people who did this. It's amazing to me. There's a man just following the directions of King Jesus. Soaked in the teachings of Christ. Here are some of his words when he preached a sermon on this text. He said, the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. And so it goes. Returning evil for evil multiplies evil. This is beautiful. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That is a heart saturated in the teachings of Romans 12 and in the life of Jesus. How do we saturate ourselves in this? How do we live this way? Well, I think it's appropriate at the end of our study of Romans 12 to go back to the beginning where Paul just tells us right there at the the start In light of God's mercy, do all this stuff. In light of God's mercy. In other words, given the the vast, majestic landscape of what God has done in history in Jesus, we are to live in awe of that, in view of that, in light of that, to behold that, and to believe that when we do It can rework and transform even the hardest, 
most unforgiving heart. You see, this is how it went down. When the world was in this spiral of violence, strike and counterstrike, insult for insult, hate for hate, when humanity had repaid evil for evil so often that the debt that it had built up before a holy and loving God was too much to bear, a debt that could never be paid down, instead of punishing the world or calling the debt, God reaches out in the person of Jesus and moves towards the world in order to disarm it with love. That is what the Christian story is about. Like a God who had every right to judge us, but instead sent his son to die for us. And the idea that when you receive that and understand it, that it can open your heart in such a way that you can begin to love and live differently. What it looked like for Jesus to leave room for God's wrath, it looked like him taking the wrath of God on himself. And as he sat on the cross, he was cursed. But he didn't curse back in return. He blessed. And he said, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That's what it looked like for Jesus to overcome evil with good. It looked like him being overcome himself. It's the ultimate act of forgiving others. The ultimate act of mercy. And it's in light of that that we live. It's when we afresh find ourselves beneficiaries of that. Or I might say it like this. Jesus didn't die because you watch R-rated movies. He lived a perfect life of love in our place. He died for every time you've responded with slander, with slander. Every time you've wished hurt on another because you've been hurt. Every time you haven't responded with grace. Every time you've lost control. He died for that in you and in me. And instead of offering us judgment, he offers us grace. And if you don't want to take my word for it, you can actually experience it because in a few moments we're going to approach the Lord's table where God is again going to reach out and love on his enemies and see us hungry and feed us and see us thirsty and give us something to drink. And he does us and we do it week after week, Sunday after Sunday, in order to crack that door open of love in our hearts further and further as God moves towards us in love. And so as we prepare to come to the table, let's give this thing some teeth. There's somebody you don't like. And my guess is that they're in your family And in the next few days, there's something called Christmas. And you're going to have to be with them. And you're just going to have to work that out. And they're going to hurt you. And they're going to say dumb things. And you're going to have to figure out how you respond. But man, at Christmas, it's one of the only times in our culture where it's not weird to give someone a gift when they hurt you. 
So I want you to come with that person in your heart. I have someone in my heart. I need to be a positive peacemaker. I need to find out what that means for me. But as you come, God is reaching out to you. He loves you. And he says, come. Romans 12, that was good, wasn't it? Golly. Applause to Paul (laughs) and the Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace and goodness to us. Um, We need your help in this. We just, uh, we lose control so often. And we are still so often overcome and overpowered by evil and pain and hurt. But we believe that with your help, with your mercy, with your grace, in light of all that you've done to us, that we can grow in this way. That we can cultivate in ourselves hearts of love and forgiveness and kindness. Hearts that bless instead of curse. Hearts that do good. Hearts that leave it to the wrath of God. Uh, hearts that are prepared to serve others and to overcome evil with good. Thank you for overcoming evil for us, Jesus. Thank you for reminding us of that today. Thank you for, for considering it still a great thing that you feed and, and, give, and give nourishment to your enemies. We praise you and we love you. We lift all of this up to you. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.